Welcome to the Spurs Up Show, home of the best Gamecocks content on the internet. The following is presented to you by our friends over at MyBookie. When your money's on the line, choose a trusted sports book that gives you tools to win, like MyBookie. At MyBookie, it doesn't matter if your team is up or down. You can easily cash out or bet the game live to come out on the winning side. Use MyBookie for daily odds boosts, same game parlays, and take advantage of huge prize pool contests. Every single sack, fumble, and touchdown is another chance to hit payday. To get started, go to MyBookie.ag and on your first deposit, use promo code TSUS to grab a deposit match up to $1,000. Try the MyBookie money bag to grab a potential Super Bowl front runner at long shot odds. Plus 38,000 on the Eagles and Chiefs. You won't find odds like that anywhere else. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere, only with my bookie. We're also brought to you by our friends over at Twisted Tea. Twisted Tea, the drink that fuels fun and celebrates your love for college football. Keep it twisted. We're also brought to you by our friends over at Prize Picks. Go download the Prize Picks app or go to prizepicks.com. And when you do, use the promo code TSUS to receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks is the simplest fantasy game on the market focused around prop total entries. You pick two to six players and you can win up to 10 times on any entry. Price Picks has no sharks, optimizers, or mass multi-entry. It's literally just you against the projection. They also allow mixed sport entry. So, for example, you can take the over on LeBron, parlay with the under on Mahomes. They've got college sports, pro sports, literally anything and everything you can think of. They have got it over at Prize picks. They also have a slick, easy to use mobile app, both on the App Store and Google Play. They're rated 4.8 stars in the App Store with rave reviews. So many fans and listeners of the Spurs Up show have made tons of money with our friends at Prize Picks, and you should as well. So, again, go download the Prize Picks app or go to prizepicks.com. And when you do, use that promo code TS. U.S. to receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100. Be sure to check them out and tell them that Chris from the Spurs Up Show sent you. Let's get it! We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. 
Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's going on, my man? Great to see you once again. Let's start with this. What does rivalry week mean to you as a former player and now someone who talks about the SEC for a living? Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it, Chris? I mean, uh, when I think about rivalry week, I think about stepping outside of the conference. You know, you do that in the first couple weeks of the season, and then you're kind of in the grind of playing SEC teams, and, and rivalry week, to me, means stepping outside of the conference. Now, that's not true for Auburn and Alabama. It's not true for Ole Miss and Mississippi State, but I think about Florida, I think about uh, Kentucky, I think about South Carolina, I think about Georgia, all playing ACC opponents. And what a great opportunity it is for, one, the SEC to kind of uh, reclaim its reputation with uh, an out-of-conference sweep of, of four uh, ACC teams. But what that would also mean to that conference to potentially knock Florida State out of the, the college football playoffs, to take uh, both teams that are playing in the ACC championship down the week before they meet in the, in uh, Charlotte there. So I, I, uh, I just think of, of uh, the, the respect that I have for Florida's main rivals in this conference, Georgia, Tennessee, LSU. Uh, and then I think about the disdain I have for Florida State. It's a, a little <laughs> different kind of feel when you're talking about playing non-SEC rivals. Let's start on a different note, Chris, with Week 12. The Arkansas Razorbacks beat FIU 44-20 to with the big news coming out of Fayetteville. Sam Pittman will be back in 2024 as confirmed by their athletic director. Your, your thoughts on the news? Obviously, Pittman, one of the most likable guys and one of the most light coaches in the SEC. He gets another opportunity. Was that the right move, wrong move? Your thoughts on the decision by Arkansas? I like it. I like it. It's a decisive move by Hunter Juracek, the athletic director at Arkansas. It's not leaving Sam Pittman dangling. It's not leaving the players wondering what the future of their coach is. It's not letting the fan base get carried away with who's going to be the next coach of, of, of the Arkansas Razorbacks. And I think it gives you an opportunity to finish the season on a high note. Uh, they play at home against Missouri on Friday. They haven't played really well at home in, in conference games over the last month or so, dating back to that, that egg they laid against Mississippi State and then the debacle against Auburn two weeks ago. So this is a chance to, even if you don't win, to play competitively, to play with a, a passion, a sense of urgency, to, to send your fans off into the offseason uh, with a, a little bit better uh, feel for the season. Uh, but I, I think it's the right move. Sam Pittman probably a victim of his own success coming in and inheriting a mess from the previous coaching staff getting them back on track sooner than even I think the most optimistic uh, Razorback fan could have hoped. And so this gives them an opportunity to have a plan heading into the offseason. They've got to get better on the offensive line. Uh, they've got to find a way to, to replace production at the quarterback position and running back position. But I do think that um, with the transfer portal era, you can go out and overhaul lines of scrimmage much quicker than you used to be able to. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, 
match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Speaking of that offensive line, Chris, I believe it's 42 sacks that Arkansas was surrendered. That's with a mobile quarterback. So certainly, yeah. to your point, they got to get the offensive line shored up. Now, Chris, sticking with coaches who are – their seats are a bit warm. You could argue they're hot. We go to Como, where Florida, a valiant effort. I mean, a much – admittedly, Chris, a much better effort than I thought yeah. Florida would give Missouri, nearly pull off the win. Missouri's magical season continues, and – they're probably who we should be talking about, but obviously anytime a coach's job like Billy Napier comes into question, it seems like there's been more rumblings than maybe even I was expecting from the Florida fan base after a really frustrating loss. I think the way it happened, obviously, uh, your thoughts on this game as a whole, I thought Graham Mertz played like a warrior out there, man. I know he got hurt, and I had somebody this morning tell me that you know, that was a silly move. I'm like, this it, it's a guy laying his body on the line, man. He's trying to get his team to a bowl game. I respect it. I have no problem with it. Um, thoughts on that ball game as a whole? And and where do you sit right now with Billy Napier? And what are you hearing from the folks in Gainesville? Because, I mean, I, there's a lot of frustration, but there's yeah. still that buyout, and it's only year two. So, I mean, overall status of Florida. Hey, you know this better than anybody. Live by the sword, die by the sword. They made a fourth down play against South Carolina that won Florida the ball game on the road and, and probably didn't necessarily deserve to win that game and go on the road against Como and probably do deserve to win the game against uh, Missouri and, and, and let one get away with a fourth and 17 conversion. But I think part of, a, of the ascension of any program is figuring out how to win close ball games. Last year, Missouri was two and four in one possession games. This year, they're four and oh, and you learn from some of those mistakes. Florida's going to learn from uh, Trevor Etienne, third and 12, not getting down in bounds to keep the clock running to force them to use a timeout steps out of bounds and and ultimately you know it leaves too much time on the clock for Missouri um, fumbling the ball down inside the ten yard line in the fourth quarter when you get an opportunity to get a touchdown there there's multiple plays that if any one of those things goes differently you probably win the ball game but when you have young players and, and and new guys trying to acclimate to the culture of a new team you 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 have those mistakes I like Billy Napier a lot. I think one of the saving graces in terms of the patience that the fan base has had is because of the signing class that's been put together for 2024. Florida needs to do a good job of keeping that group together. I've already had a couple of flips that uh, have, have now uh, lowered that, that draft class or the uh, signing class's status. 
But, um, you know, I, I think at the end of the day, I'm with you. They fought gallantly. They had their left tackle out, their center out, their right tackle goes out early in the ballgame. So three backup offensive linemen, they still run for 261 yards. You lose Graham Mertz late in the third quarter, and I thought it was a tremendous play, a great sign of leadership. Third down, you're about four yards short, a guy laying his body on the line, like you said, to go get that first down. Just That's not thinking. That's just reaction. That's You can't coach that. That's a guy that wants it. And so I think that's a great example of leadership by example. And uh, I, I, I think that Max Brown did a good job coming in off the bench cold, finding a way to uh, make some plays on fourth down, trying to find a way to, to create some, some uh, offense with his legs. This is a guy that's a mobile quarterback, a much different quarterback than Graham Mertz is. So I think they go back to the drawing board this week. They draw up some, some packages that Florida State's defense hadn't seen. And I think it makes them a dangerous team on Saturday going up against the Seminoles in Gainesville. Chris, sticking with that game really quickly, Eli Drinkwitz deserves Coach of the Year in the SEC. Agree or disagree? Uh, I, my my first name on the ballot is actually Nick Saban. I think this is the best coaching job that he's had since he's been in Tuscaloosa, taking a team that had a lot of flaws, uh, uh, some, some uh, moments of adversity that could have gone the other way and turning that into a, a positive. Um, he's number one on my list. I'd say Eli Drinkwitz, two, and Kirby Smart, three. I, I think Coach Saban and Coach Smart don't get the – the credit that they deserve for, for largely, um, you know, being celebrated as having the best players on their respective rosters. But in each of those cases, look at, look at Georgia. I mean, they had, they lost their offensive coordinator, lost their starting quarterback, lost a bunch of talent on defense and, and they haven't missed a beat there either. So that would be my, my top three heading into that voting. If it were uh, me being part of now, Chris, to Columbia we go. South Carolina takes down Kentucky in a slugfest. I heard some of your comments briefly on SEC Network mentioning that arguably nobody does a better job of rallying the troops yeah. than Shane Beamer and the way he's able to hold this thing together. South Carolina, 2-6 and six just a couple weeks ago. They were staring at an abysmal season. Now you bring yourself to 5-6. and six. Opportunity still to get to a bowl game. But that game on Saturday night, admittedly, Chris, I thought it was going to be a high-scoring game back and yeah. forth, and it was the the slugfest that I guess nobody saw coming. Either way, though, the bottom line is this. You find a way to win that football game. You could not run the football, but your best players made big-time plays when you needed Spencer Rattlers. Able to get, and that defense stepped up, unlike any time we've seen this season. Your, your just overall thoughts on that win, yeah. that atmosphere that was obviously the SEC Network game, uh, just overall thoughts on that 17-14 to 14 victory that South Carolina had over Kentucky. You said it. I mean, they found a way to win. And to me, that game was a microcosm of the South Carolina season, a season filled with adversity, a season filled with challenges, a season uh, filled with bleak outlooks. And, and yet they, they found a way to win a football game when it doesn't look pretty. Uh, it, it certainly was a, a, gut, a gutsy effort. Uh, the defense doing what you said, keeping – Kentucky's offense in check. Maybe the biggest takeaway of the night was the Nick Amory interception down there in the end zone that, that thwarted the scoring opportunity for Kentucky. I just look at South Carolina. Spencer Rattler was carrying that offense in the first quarter, get up to that 10-0 lead. They put up 125 yards of offense, and then the rest of the ball game, uh, they go three and out on six of their nine possessions. They put up 132 yards of offense, but when they needed it most, they put one nine-play drive together to, to take the lead and uh, and never look back. The defense gets some big stops. Uh, the pressure they were able to put on Devin Leary in the last couple of Kentucky possessions were the difference in the ball game. 
And um, I, I love the storyline. I love Shane Beamer. Obviously, uh, you know, I think people by now uh, understand how I feel about him. And, and so I'm a little biased. But I, I think, as you mentioned, uh, nobody finds a way to, to get his team back up off the mat better than Shane Beamer does. And I'm excited to see if they can go win one more to get to bowl eligibility, which six wins. If you told the Gamecock fan base before the season they were going to win six games, I, I don't think they would have been too smoked up about it. But the opportunity to come from uh, the, the depths of, uh, of looking like they were going to just completely whiff on the opportunity to play in the bowl season uh, to winning the final four games at home, winning over your, your rival and, uh, and doing so in a dramatic fashion, the way that they have. I think would be a, uh, a great cap to the, the season and, and send you into the offseason with some of the vibes you had last year after winning against Tennessee and Clemson at the end. Chris, sticking with that ball game and Shane Beamer specifically, South Carolina moves to eight and three in the month of November under his leadership. What do you make of that? I mean, it's just, it's becoming one of those things where, you know, it's one thing to have a favorable schedule in the month of November and take advantage of it, but like this is year three and each of his first three seasons. They have done this. And I know a lot of fans will push back and say, well, why don't you get off to a quicker start, right? And I would argue that in the transfer portal era, there's so many moving pieces. We've never known less about these football teams. That yeah. includes the coaches, how the pieces are going to mesh until toe meets leather and we get the season going. There's no preseason, obviously. But, like, what do you make it? Like, when you look at this, it's like, how do you make sense of it? Like, why is South Carolina, why is Shane Beamer able to sort of push the right buttons? And it's just – we now know, I mean, going into next year, you're going to say to yourself, whatever the schedule is, we know for a fact South Carolina is going to be playing their best football at the end of the season. I guess some other teams could say that too, but isn't it odd? Yeah. Isn't it just funny how it just seems like they hit November and they hit a different gear? That's what you want to do, right? You want to be peaking at the end of the year. You want to show improvement from, from where you started and you want to be able to uh, show signs of growth. I think they've done it. You know, one out of necessity because of all the injuries. I mean, the, the bright side of all of this is that you got a lot of young guys, some much important experience that's going to pay dividends next year for the South Carolina team. But I also look at the, what what this season has meant to guys like Spencer Rattler, where you know comes back for another year and 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 I think really shows himself as a great pro prospect, not only because of what he's he's done uh, statistically, but what he's done in terms of leadership. Uh, maybe the way that he's changed his reputation as a me guy to a we guy. Um, you know, I think you also look at at um, the the way that that the uh, the team has evolved uh, defensively. You mentioned Clayton White; they saved this maybe the best defensive effort for for last year, uh, and has you ready for the the game against Clemson on Saturday. So I, I just I, I can't say enough about Coach Beamer, his coaching uh, staff, and and uh, the players themselves for not mailing it in because we've seen teams mail it in when they, when they were sitting at, at two and six, they, they had every uh, reason in the world to mail it in and they've done anything but that down the stretch. Shows great culture for sure within the program. Nobody questioned that, but another yeah. example of that strong culture in Columbia to Knoxville, Tennessee, we go, Chris, Georgia just flexes those muscles yet again. Carson Beck is fantastic. Uh, Tennessee scores on that first play of the game, but it wasn't much good after that. What what did you see from the back-to-back -back national champions? Yeah, I, I go back and just uh, look at the 10,000-foot level at what we thought was going to be maybe the toughest four-game stretch in successive weeks that we'd seen in a long time, and Georgia makes it look easy. Really, I, what, what, I, barely any of them single-digit games. What, Missouri, I guess, was the only one at nine points, I think. But uh, they, they are – 
far and away the best team, the best accumulation of talent, the best uh, playing as a, a group, and the best coach team in the, in the country as well. Um, it, it's amazing when an opponent gets their attention, they certainly come out swinging. Uh, I love the, uh, the distribution of the football from Carson Beck to so many different weapons. No Lad McConkey, no real problem. Uh, guys like Dylan Bell stepping up. Mar uh, Marcus Roseby, Jack Saint having a big ball game. Uh, Brock Bowers catching a touchdown. They just have so many pieces offensively that I don't remember uh, Georgia having in a long time on that side of the ball. And Mike Bobo continues to find ways to, to, to get the football uh, to some of his best players. Carson Beck has developed into one of the best quarterbacks in the country. And uh, I think Mike Bobo deserves to have a little uh, recognition in the, in the Broyles Award as well. I think if I were to list the, the top assistants, I'd have to put um, uh, Mike Bobo in there. I certainly would put Tommy Reese in the way that they've evolved in, in Tuscaloosa. And Kirby Moore from Missouri, I think, is deserving of, of some of that credit as well. The Spurs Up show is brought to you by our friends over at Twisted Tea. Are you ready to elevate your college football game day experience? Check out Twisted Tea, your go-to game day beverage for college football fans. Twisted Tea is unlike any hard beverage you've had before. It's made with real brewed tea and packs a flavorful punch with 5% alcohol and no carbonation, delivering the perfect balance of taste and refreshment that goes down smooth for every game day occasion. No need to settle for the usual. Twisted Tea turns up any occasion, especially when you're cheering for your favorite team. Whether you're tailgating in the stadium parking lot, watching at a bar, or hosting friends at home, Twisted Tea is there to elevate the game day experience. It perfectly complements your love for college football and your passion for creating unforgettable moments. So let's toast to unforgettable game day experiences. Twisted Tea, the drink that fuels fun and celebrates your love for college football. Keep it twisted. The Spurs Up Show is also brought to you by our friends over at Game Time. Download the Game Time app or head over to GameTime.co and use the promo code Spurs up for $20 off your first purchase. Again, that's promo code Spurs up, S P or S U P, for $20 off your first purchase. Game time is the best ticket buying app available that removes all the stress of the ticket buying process. They have things like images of your seat before you buy, so you know exactly what to expect when you arrive. Guys, you can buy your tickets in a matter of seconds, two taps and you're set. And also tickets, they're sent directly to your phone. So no more scrambling, searching through your email, trying to find the tickets you just bought. Whether it be the Gamecocks, a concert, a comedy club event, you name it. Whatever the event is, buying tickets shouldn't be stressful. And Game Time is the way to go. Again, that's our friends at Game Time. Go download the Game Time app or go to GameTime.co. And when you do, Create an account and use promo code SPURSUP. That's S-P or S-U-P for $20 off your first purchase. Download Game Time today. Last-minute tickets. Lowest price. Guaranteed. Chris, before we get off of Week 12, the most shocking result of the weekend by far, yeah. Auburn pays $1.85 million to lose by three touchdowns to New Mexico State. I compared this, Chris, after it happened, and I, I'm not saying it's going to turn out this way, but my mind just immediately went back to 
2007 when Nick Saban and Alabama lost to UL Monroe, and we all know the rest is history from there. Yeah. Is it cause for greater concern for you for Auburn and Hugh Freeze's program, or is it just a one-game hiccup where the results didn't make any sense? Yeah, I think it's a great example of uh, if you're not ready to play, you can lose a ball game to anybody. Uh, there's nobody in the world that can look at these rosters side by side and say that Alabama doesn't, or excuse me, Auburn doesn't have the collective better group of talent than what New Mexico State did. But this was not a fluky win for Jerry Kill's team. They dominated on both lines of scrimmage. In the final 30 minutes of that game, New Mexico State outrushed Auburn 146 to 12. They got four sacks to Auburn's none. They converted seven of nine third and fourth down tries. They held the ball for almost 20 minutes. So it was as complete a dominant performance in the final 30 minutes as you possibly could have expected. And uh, I, my, my, my colleague, Roman Harper, I just saw him this morning as I was leaving the studio. He said, man, that, that's, uh, this is a conspiracy job by Auburn to uh, play possum, the ultimate game of possum, as they try to, to, uh, to, to trick Alabama into not being ready for that, that game on Saturday in the Iron Bowl. But uh, I do think that this, is, this, to me, is year zero for, for Hugh Freeze. They've got to go out and upgrade talent, uh, I think, is a great learning opportunity, as I said before. But it's also a great recruiting tool to say, hey, you know, we, we need you. Our guys on the offensive and defense lines we need you to come in we got some some really good uh momentum on the recruiting trail but we need to finish strong and find ways to uh close that gap between where we are and and where some of the other top programs in this league are and the good news for auburn chris they are already bowl eligible which is good news because as you mentioned they do have the alabama crimson tide this weekend a 330 yeah. kickoff on cbs so as we look ahead to rivalry weekend. Let's start with the Iron Bowl. Do you think Auburn can give Bama some issues? I mean, Jordan-Hare Stadium is a crazy place, but you're coming off the New Mexico State game. I mean, it's it's it doesn't feel likely for sure, yeah. but I mean, this it's a weird rivalry, man. A lot of weird things happen in that game. Yeah, I have a hard time, you know, coming up with a scenario where I see Auburn, you know, winning this game uh short of of Alabama just gifting them the game with a bunch of turnovers and other mistakes, but um, I, I, I do think that uh, Alabama's playing their best football. They, they came out, what, scored touchdowns on their, eight of their first nine possessions, where a lot of the other SEC teams that were playing inferior talent this weekend slept walk through the first half. They were sharp. Uh, I think Nick Saban was very pleased with uh, the warm-up for the Iron Bowl on Saturday. Uh, so I, I, I don't think this is going to be that competitive of a football game. Um, but I, I do think it, it certainly – uh, for a less disciplined team, it could set you up for some failure watching what New Mexico State did to Auburn and, and thinking that you can just show up and sleepwalk through the game if you're Alabama. Chris, South Carolina and Clemson takes place this week. And, of course, as we've mentioned, bowl eligibility is on the line. I'll ask you because I feel like there's a lot of fan bases out there that claim that you know our rivalry is the best rivalry in college football or this rivalry, that rivalry, whatever – What's your experiences or your perception, maybe I should say, of the South Carolina-Clemson rivalry? It's been very streaky of late. Obviously, Clemson, during their great run, six straight college ball playoff appearances, they dominated South Carolina before that, won five in a row. We saw the Gamecocks go up to Death Valley last year and get the win and snap that long losing streak. It's the SEC Network primetime game again. So you know what kind of atmosphere you're getting into. Tigers are favored, but I mean, it feels like this scenario, this game, the outlook of it from Vegas, whatever, 
it plays into Shane Beamer's hands, man. Like the underdog yeah. role, like we're being doubted. We got our home crowd behind us. It's going to make for a fascinating Palmetto Bowl matchup for sure. Yeah, let me first and foremost congratulate the, you know, starting uh, the beginning of November, you only got two wins uh, on your record. Uh, a lot of other fan bases probably would not bring the same energy and enthusiasm. I'm watching this game against uh, another average team on Saturday night, and it's packed, and the, the atmosphere is going crazy. It just uh, is a great home field advantage. It was one of my favorite places to play as an opponent. So I, I, I give a, a lot of uh, respect and tip of the cap to the, the fan base there in Columbia for doing what they've done to make that such an intimidating place to play. But I also think it, it, you're right. I mean, I, I think for Shane Beamer, it, it's about you know going out and, and, and continuing to, to yank that, that, uh, that crown away from Clemson in the state of South Carolina. I obviously paid a lot of attention to the years where Coach Spurrier was in Columbia and what he was able to do in that that great run and dominance they had over, over Clemson. Um, I, it's funny because it kind of takes me back to uh, my, my days at, at Florida. Like growing up, uh, a kid, Georgia dominated the series against the Gators. And so I was always of the opinion that, that Georgia was the number one game on the schedule. And then during the 90s, I think we won all but one of them. And a lot of the newer fans looked at Florida State or maybe Tennessee as the biggest rival. I think it's all about when you when you kind of grow up in, in this rivalry. So. Uh, Clemson's owned it for the last uh, few years prior to last season, and and I still think it uh, it means an awful lot for bragging rights within the state, and and it's uh, a res- uh, a game of of uh, some real mutual disdain towards one another. Chris, sticking with the SEC ACC matchups, let's go to Gainesville, Florida, and Florida State. It's a battle of backup quarterbacks. Unfortunately, of course, the terrible injury that happened to Jordan Travis last week. And I know Gator fans hated to see that because you want to see the best on best on both sides. But Graham Mertz is more than likely going to be out for this game as well. It's a 7 o'clock kick on ESPN. We talked about Billy Napier. I don't know that you have to win, but this one, Chris, does feel very important in regards to playing a tight competitive ball game, at least taking FSU to the wire. You get blown out here, and all of a sudden, his future, which we feel pretty confident in, would you yeah. agree it, it becomes somewhat murky what the future lies ahead? Yeah, I, I have a hard time picturing a scenario where uh, Coach Napier is not back on the sideline next year. I do think you have to have some patience. I think you have to have a, a little bit of uh, the longer-term view and understanding what's being built there. I, I have a lot of, uh, of respect for what he's done in accumulating talent the last two years, both through the transfer portal and the recruiting signing classes, you're seeing a lot of that take shape on, on Saturdays with guys like Trey Wilson, the freshman, who's had a great season, watching what Graham Mertz was able to do in this offense, watching what Ricky Pearsall has been able to do the last two years. So I trust the, the evaluation of talent. And I tr- trust the, uh, the coaching ability. There, there are a lot of things to clean up, but um, yeah, what, a, what a great opportunity to wash that bad taste of a, a very mediocre season out of your mouth if you're a Gator fan and can knock off your arch rival, keep them out of the college football playoffs and, and get to bowl eligibility all at senior day in the swamp. So I, I know Florida will be ready to go. And um, I think it'll be interesting to see how they kind of build a package offensively around Max Brown, who's got a very different style of his game than what uh, Graham Mertz does. Chris, sticking with the rivalry week theme, what was your favorite memory against Florida State as a player? 
probably my uh, my my senior year, nineteen ninety five. It was our last home game. Had my parents out there in the field for the senior day celebration. Uh, it's very difficult, kind of, to switch gears from having that emotional moment. I remember you know, kind of being in tears on the bus the the whole drive over to the stadium, knowing it was going to be my last time doing that, uh, and seeing my family out there. Then having to kind of refocus and get ready for the ball game. We were undefeated, uh, trying to to stay uh, that way to to work our way into the college football at that time, which was the uh, whatever it was, the national championship game. But um, you know, I, I end up catching a touchdown right before halftime to break the uh, the single season and career SEC touchdown records. Uh, so that stood out to me, and then being able to beat our arch rival by double digits after really struggling with them. Uh, throughout my, my previous time there in Gainesville was uh, a, a great way to, to cap off my career as a Gator there in Gainesville. Those Steve Spurrier, Bobby Bowden matchups were something special. Yeah. Outside of, Chris, outside of Florida, Florida State, because I know obviously your heart has a – got a real respect for that one. Favorite rivalry and most underrated rivalry in your mind in college football? Ooh, I think underrated rivalry. I don't think a lot of people maybe outside of the state of Mississippi or outside of the SEC footprint understand, you know, what that dynamic's like in the Egg Bowl. But that's one. I'm glad it's on Thursday. I love it being played on Thanksgiving. Pure uh, hatred, that, Chris, yeah. what I've heard. It's yeah. like a nasty hate. Yeah, one that certainly is is <laughs> under undervalued there. Um, I would think the, the Clemson-South Carolina rivalry is one that, that definitely is, is very uh, intriguing to me as well. I'm anxious to see this year what Kentucky can do. They've had a a, a, a well below uh, what I expected season. I think if they finish six and six, it's disastrous. But you could go out there, knock off your arch rival, uh, send them to the ACC championship game with a loss. So I, I think that's one that I'm kind of anxious to see how Kentucky maybe picks themselves up off the mat after a uh, a disappointing year for them as a whole. Chris, looking at the college football playoff picture, and of course, Florida State is right there in the thick of that. A really interesting topic that's come up today, and unfortunately because of the injury, is if Florida State goes undefeated, and we know Jordan Travis is out, in your opinion, do you feel like they should still be in the college football playoff? Do you feel like it'd be unfair to punish them for knowing that, hey, you don't have your quarterback, there's a team behind them that maybe you think okay, they're better yeah. because they don't have Jordan Travis. Like, how do you feel that should be handled? Is it fair to leave FSU out, or would you say they deserve to be in if they can finish off this thing undefeated? Well, I think the committee has given some guidance on, you know, if a major injury recur- occurs that uh, you have to take into consideration. Is it the same team that's put up, you know, the, the majority of the body of work without that particular player? Uh, that'll be a question that the committee will will be able to uh, evaluate with the way that uh, uh, the quarterback played. What's the name? Rotomaker? Rotomaker, something like that. Mm-hmm. I haven't even really studied them up yet. But um, how they play against Florida and how they play against Louisville in the ACC championship game, I think it's premature to make that decision now. But um, I, I do think that provides a little bit of an out for the committee. I also think it'll be interesting to see the whole – Texas and Alabama dynamic. If Alabama is able to run the table and, and finishes the season as a one-loss SEC champion, uh, it, it's hard for me to fathom a playoff that doesn't include an SEC uh, team in it. But that's uh, yeah, the, the reality that we live in with the head-to-head victory that the, the Longhorns secured earlier in the season. So it, it's I think it's only fitting that uh, we're watching things come down to the wire here in the last year, the 14 playoffs. 
and having as much uh, still out there to be decided as we have now. Uh, we haven't had chaos yet, Chris, and, and I'm wondering if this is the week that we get a little bit of chaos with some of these rivalry games nationally. It does seem, Chris, that rivalry week is the week where chaos ensues. And on that note, Chris, we'll get you out of your last thing, talking, sticking with the college ball playoff. There are some out there that are concerned about the SEC standings if, if Alabama were to beat Georgia in the SEC title game, maybe things get a little bit sideways because you've got Oregon out there. You've got, of course, the winner of the Ohio State-Michigan game in the Big yeah. Ten. You've got Texas out there. Like it, it's you got Washington, of course. Your thoughts on if Bama beats Georgia. I mean, I, I wouldn't bet against Georgia right now, but if Bama does beat Georgia, let's say, by a field goal, should both be in? I, I don't think there's ever a scenario where neither would be in, right? Like, you got to have one, but – should both be in, I guess, would be my question. And how much does that depend on how the rest of college ball just plays out the next couple of weeks? You, you can make the argument that the SEC could get left out. I mean, if you have an undefeated Big Ten champion, you got an undefeated Florida State out of the ACC, you got an undefeated Washington out of the Pac-12, and then it comes down to Texas and Alabama, as I mentioned before, head-to-head matters. And so I think in that scenario, the SEC would get left out. Um, I, I it, It's an interesting argument, too, for Georgia. I mean, Georgia – the schedule didn't look all that challenging at the beginning of the year, but you look at the stretch they've gone through in the last four weeks, they've had victories over uh, three ranked teams. So uh, their one loss would come to probably a top four Alabama team. So uh, I do think there is a lot that uh, can be argued uh, right now. But the, the one thing I don't want to see is that I don't want to see a close uh, loss by a Big Ten team that keeps them in the mix. The, the Big Ten schedule is a joke. Um, you know, you, you play one game a year when you get to the final week of the season. You can't even pass off to me that Penn State is a legitimate uh, topic of conversation for a, a, a real, um, you know, quality win. Uh, so I, I, I'm tired of even hearing about the idea that Michigan or, or Ohio State both could get into the uh, college football playoffs this year. But I think so much of what happens in the SEC depends on uh, what happens around the country as well. Chris, just humor me for a moment. If the SEC were to be left out of the college ball playoff, what do you think the reaction would be? Uh, I think it'd be shock. Uh, even though the, the college football playoff committee is instructed to take a look at only this year, uh, I think it's only human nature to, to, to look through the lens of what the, the previous years have told us, and that's that, that the best football is played in the Southeastern Conference. The problem is, is that the SEC didn't do their job in weeks one, weeks two, and week three. So – you kind of are who you are uh, individually as a program and, and, and the totality as a conference. So that's why I think this weekend is so important. You get a chance to step out of conference against four rivals uh, from the ACC. Uh, if the SEC could win all four of those ball games, I think it would certainly atone for what happened in the, in the month of September. Chris Doring of SEC Network, one of the best in the business to talk all things SEC. Chris, this is always a blast. I appreciate you taking the time. Happy Thanksgiving to you and yours, and we'll do it again next week on SEC Championship Week, my friend. Can't wait to talk. Yeah, likewise. Happy Thanksgiving to y'all, and uh, look forward to being on next week, man. Take care. Yeah, man. Appreciate you.
I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.